I think it was because I had gone through that really difficult process with my son and just felt that there needed to be a purpose in it more than just me learning how to parent a child through addiction. Like I felt I wanted to contribute in a bigger way. Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living podcast where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife, where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. Hello, my friend. If you are a parent, today's episode is for you. I don't know a single parent who doesn't question themselves and wonder if they are doing right by their kids. You know, I remember when my kids were little and I first heard the phrase, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. Honestly, I wanted to hit the person who said that (laughs) because, you know, when you're living through sleepless nights because the baby won't sleep through the night, alternated with uh, getting up to make sure they're still breathing because it's too quiet. And then, you know, they start walking and you have to baby proof everything around you and stay on constant alert for possible danger and falls. And then there are the tantrums. Anyway, you get it. When they're little, it's physically challenging and it's all new and scary and you're exhausted and then they hit adolescence and the eye rolling starts and suddenly your kid knows way more than you do about everything i do want to say for the record that parenting is the best and hardest thing i've ever done and i am so grateful to have my two kids in my life they they really are my greatest teachers now that my kids are older and my friend's kids are older, I see what they meant by big kids, big problems. You know, once kids hit adolescence and young adulthood, you start to worry about drug and alcohol use, drunk driving, other decisions they might make that could have a long lasting negative impact on their lives. And that's when you really start to question your role in all that. You might have feelings of guilt and shame about the kind of parent you've been. I like to joke that my kids are definitely going to need therapy. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Well, my guest today is Kim Minch. She's a parenting coach who specializes in working with mothers of adolescents ages 10 and up and young adults. Kim is passionate about educating and supporting her clients to raise their children with intention and guidance rather than fear and control. She's a mother of five children and was inspired to do the work she's doing today because she herself had a crisis moment with her oldest son that led her to decide to learn how the parent-child relationship really works and slowly made her own well-being a priority. Isn't that interesting? I can't wait for you to hear her story. Um, Be sure to stay with us to the end today because Kim has some great tools and advice to share towards the later part of our conversation. And hey, before we get started, I want to let you know that I created a free guide for you designed to help you start taking the steps towards your next act. It's a workbook called Five Steps to Your Midlife Reboot. It comes as an email series and has some practical ideas and exercises that you can use over the course of several weeks to get past feeling stuck. And you just do them at your own pace. They'll be waiting for you in your inbox when you're ready for the next step, but they do come weekly. Um, I'll remind you at the end of the episode and tell you where to sign up. Okay, without further ado, here's Kim Minch. Let's go. Hey, Kim, thanks so much for being with me today. Yvonne, I'm so happy to have this conversation with you today. Oh, my goodness. So you do something really interesting. (laughs) You are a coach for parents of grown children. Well, yes, I would say I am a parent coach for... I typically market to moms because I believe moms are the emotional barometers in their families. And when mom is working on herself, it ripples out to everybody else. 
Mm. But I've chosen to always work with parents of adolescents. So adolescence begins around the age of 10 and goes through about age 25. And specifically because I think a lot of times when parents get through those get to those adolescent years, they begin to white knuckle it through. And I believe that there's not enough support and encouragement for parents going through this stage of life. So for all those reasons, and because I have five kids who are now 17 to 34, I have been immersed in that, you know, parenting stage for so long myself that I just have really always wanted to gravitate and help those parents who sometimes think it's too late because in my opinion, it's, it's never too late to work on the relationship. That is a very hopeful thing to, to hear. I, I have to say I'm, I'm an older mom. I didn't have kids until I was 35. And really, I have to tell you, Kim, one of the reasons why I put off having kids is I was terrified of having a teenager eventually. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. And actually, I'm the opposite. I actually had my first son when I was a teenager. So wow. I and I had my last child when I was 36. So, um, you know, it's it's I have grown up in some respects, obviously, through the experience of motherhood, as I think we all do. But I mean, I truly did like <laughs> grow up a lot at 18 by having, you know, my first son. What were you doing before you started coaching? Were you a stay at home mom? I was number one momming five kids of all different stages. I did have a um, interior design, residential interior design business for many years before we left Wisconsin. I had told you that we moved from our home state down to Texas. But when we moved to Texas, I really, the desire to re-engage and build relationships with vendors and all the things while trying to help four-fifths of my kids, because our youngest four were with us, um, help them get assimilated into a brand new state where we knew no one sounded overwhelming to me. So I, you know, put the business on hold and I was trying to help everyone settle into life in Texas when the real pivotal moment that I, that I think you're going to get to is um, that my oldest son, who I'd had when I was 18, he had graduated high school and he, um, stayed in Wisconsin because he was in community college, had a girlfriend and, you know, his, his dad lived there. And so there was really no reason for him to come with us because we didn't know anybody in Texas. So about a year after we moved down to Texas, I received a phone call from him on a Tuesday evening in May of 2008. And he said, mom, I don't remember the last three days of my life and I need help. And this hmm. isn't the first time. So I wow. became, I, I had some inklings as we often do as moms, um, that there was something that wasn't right. I didn't know what it was. All I knew is that I would call to try and check in with him and he would maybe not call me back for three or four days. But I, for a lot of times just chalk that up to, you know, he's 20 years old, he's immersed in his life. Who wants to call their mom? You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And very quickly after he did make that phone call to ask for help, I realized just how um, immersed and spiraling out of control he was with his addiction to alcohol. Um, he had had some anxiety and depression issues during high school and he'd seen a counselor on, you know, on and off. But I didn't know, you know, and it's really hard for parents, I think, to decipher what's normal teen behavior and what's a red flag. Yes. And parental denial, hard. parental denial can be very, very strong when you want to justify things. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's, you know, he's okay. It's nothing. I also had four other kids I was somewhat distracted with. So bottom line, that call from him really, first of all, made me realize I can no longer deny that there's a problem first, second, trying to figure out how to help him without enabling him being scared because it got to a point over those next several months, because I was trying to navigate this from Texas. He stayed in Wisconsin and I, 
he would go for a few weeks and he'd be okay. And then all of a sudden he'd totally fall off the wagon again. And I'd be afraid for what, what was going to come with the next phone call. And it just really was a very difficult situation. About nine or 10 months in after lots of things happened, um, I ended up flying up to Wisconsin and literally taking him to put him in inpatient treatment in the southern part of Texas, like mm. literally escorted him because I just didn't have any faith that if I didn't do that, he would ever get there. Um, and I say that I, I call that period of time my parenting wake up call um, because I really began to, but it was also my personal awakening. I really began to look at how I had been parented how I was parenting my kids. And you'd think that I would have thought about this maybe a little bit more seriously before my oldest son was 20 years old, but it was this situation that really caused me to think about like, how have I been parenting? What kind of relationships am I establishing with these kids? Because I've got four kids behind him. And the last thing I wanna do is have to go through something this challenging again. Um, so what can I learn? And what can I learn from looking back in order to, you know, move forward in a, in a healthier direction? So um, I will close the story of his addiction by saying that he is 12 years sober at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and that is due in part, I believe, to my really again, going through an awakening personally during the process of getting him to treatment and in the months that came after treatment, because I do think that it was very helpful in the way that I parented him through it. But every day, his choice, every moment of every day, his choice to remain sober, you know, is certainly of credit to his, you know, his, his ability and desire to want to, you know, live his life. And while still working through, he, he still has mental health challenges. He still deals with a lot of anxiety and depression and OCD. So um, continuing to parent him, even though he's an adult with mental health issues, keeps me, I don't want to say on my toes, but it keeps me continuing to educate myself and work on my own emotional well-being mm. so that I can hold the space for when he's going through a tough time and not spiral into my own anxiety because we can do that so easily as moms. I think in my in the work that I do and in my in the relationship with my own kids it is so important for me to continue to me be very cognizant of my emotional well-being and taking time to meditate, taking time for walks every day, take, doing the things that I know feed my soul, mm -hmm. so that I will because I I know I know when I get anxious and I get you know riled up, all that does is spiral the other person, whether it's a spouse or a child. So working on remaining calm in difficult situations as your kids are growing up, I would say is probably the most important work that a mom can do. I am, I'm traveling that road, Kim, for sure. <laughs> you know, back when I was um, 48, uh, I realized I was getting up late in the mornings. My kids were only like, oh gosh, my, my maths are terrible, but... Um, I would press the snooze button in the morning. I was it just in a I was just in a spiral of my own at that point. And then I'd be running late, they'd be running late in the mornings and I'm yelling at them and I'm and I one day I, I I'm like get your backpack, get your lunch, let's go, you know what I mean? And I'm just coming down and and by the time we got to the car, I look in the rearview mirror and and he's crying. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh. I'm almost 50 years old." and I'm the, throwing the tantrum here, mm. you know? And yeah. that was like a moment when I really was like, I have got to get control of whatever's going on here. Ended up, and ended up taking on like doing meditation every morning. I, I started getting up in the morning before my kids mm -hmm. so that I could meditate and exercise every day. 
and I committed to doing it for 30 days. And I was like, well, you know, what do I have to lose? Let's see what happens. And after it was so hard, because I am not a morning person, let me just say that. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, but I was committed and I was like, nope, 30 days. Let's just see what happens. And I don't remember how much long it was after I started, maybe about a month. Uh, my oldest, one morning I went in to wake him up, kissed him good morning. And, and he randomly said to me, you seem happier, mom. Oh. And I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, wow. And, and that was it for me. I, I've never stopped that routine since because it, it does make a difference. Well, and that's what I want to encourage, you know, all of your listeners with is oftentimes if you're mom, you're put yourself last and we're constantly sacrificing. And that, that I think that's a cultural message we get. That's probably what we learned growing up. But the yeah. reality is through this very difficult time, with my eldest son, I learned a lot about myself and how the way I take care of myself, not only is modeled for my kids, mm -hmm. but it gives me the ability to be emotionally, more emotionally attuned to them when I am taking care of myself. Kids are not gonna come to us with their problems, with their challenges, if we are stressed, busy, you know, that kind of thing which doesn't mean that we sh should as parents, you know, walk around being perfect and whatever. It just means we need to be intentional and conscious of what we are projecting and how we are taking care of ourselves. It does matter. And moms who are running themselves ragged and not paying attention to their needs are not modeling healthy behavior for their kids. And they just have such a short attention span and patience. And especially during these teen years, we have to we have to have a lot of open, we have to be there, but not be there for our yes, kids. It's you know? a tightrope you know back. Oh, right? absolutely. Like yes. not ask a ton of questions, but like just be present in the room. And by be present in the room, I mean, don't like be scrolling on your phone because they won't tend, even if they are like I intentionally will put my phone down and be in the kitchen when my kids are kind of going about their morning, just to be there, just to be available in case they got a spark of desire to be like, hey, mom, I had this dream or hey, mom, you know, whatever, I've got this going on today and I didn't do this or whatever it is. The older they get, the more we have to be in a space of listening. And it's hard to do that if we aren't emotionally connected to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it makes me. I'm just like, ooh, looking at looking at my my own behavior here and thinking, hmm, what could I do better? Yeah, and you yeah. can't. I mean, you have to be again. You have to be kind of strategic with it, right? I will spend ten or fifteen minutes when I know they're both in the kitchen getting ready in the morning before they go to work or whatever. This being summertime, um, I will intentionally be available to them in the same space without having the electronics there, because it's very easy for me to pick up and scroll my own phone while I'm eating my cereal, sitting in the kitchen, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and so that doesn't happen all the time. Obviously work needs to get done, but if we can take a few moments strategically, when we know our kids are potentially gonna engage with us. And again, I'm talking about, you know, kids who have earplugs in most of the day, mm -hmm. You know, but but really trying to be attuned to when they may connect with you. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you decide to go and get training for coaching? When did when did this go from being yeah, your yeah. own personal journey to wanting to reach out and help other people with this? Well, like everything else, it was an evolution when my son went into treatment. I decided I, because I had had him at 18, I left college. I had my freshman year in college done, but I left. And then obviously I had married and got kids and, you know, more kids and whatever. But when he went through this, I really decided that this was the reason I went was walking through this was because I was meant to become a chemical dependency counselor for teenagers. So once he, once I got him into treatment and whatnot, I was like, I really need to go back to college. So I went back to college. I finished the last 
60 some credits that I had to go on my undergrad. Um, and then my intention was to go into chemical dependency counseling. Um, <clears throat> I passed the state of Texas exam and about a thousand hours into my 4,000 hours of internship, I decided that working with teenagers who didn't think that they had a drug or alcohol problem and didn't want help wasn't, wasn't, wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm. It just wasn't. But helping their parents become educated, be emotionally supported, trying to figure out how to parent their kid who was you know, using drugs on a regular basis, that was what called to my heart. And through the magic of social media or some other avenue, I read about parent coaching. I had no idea that even existed. And, and to this day, I mean, I've been doing this since 2016, but to this day, I still think there's a lot of people that have no idea that a parent coach even exists. Although it's really grown, it's a very grown field. So um, <clears throat> I, heard, I read about a couple of different programs I looked into and I ended up choosing a program going through that, becoming certi certified. And again, the emphasis has always been on working with parents of adolescents, especially moms. Um, and again, for all those reasons I discussed earlier about this important demographic of parents who I often feel is neglected and also um, thinks that things are too late and they can't turn things around. And I, I, yeah. I, I don't believe that. I never, I believe it's never too late. And as you and I were discussing prior to the recording, I've been on TikTok and now what's coming at me are parents of kids 19 to 25. Parents of this age group are really struggling because their kids either didn't go off to college or didn't move forward because of COVID. Um, they came home or they graduated during this time period and haven't been able to find a job. But for whatever reason, there's a, there's a lot of kids that are still at home now and parents are understanding, I can't parent this kid like he's you know 16, but I also don't want him treating the house like a Hilton hotel. So right. it really is helping parents begin to understand how to, how to transition into parenting through young adulthood. And if the child is living at home or if their son or daughter is living at home to figuring out what are appropriate boundaries from everything from whether, the, whether or not they have to come home at night to what their financial obligations might be. And every family is a little bit different. There's a lot of families that have challenges that are parenting kids in this age group, but every family's dynamics, of course, are a little bit different. So I really enjoy um, helping moms who also a lot of whom I think maybe you understand this, but a lot of whom have lost themselves along the way mm -hmm. of parenting, um, rediscover who they are and set healthy boundaries, not only around their kids behavior and expectations, but how they will show up personal boundaries for parents who want to not be the mom that's rescuing all the time. Intellectually, we know this is a bad thing to do, but getting from intellectually knowing that to actually allowing the kid to fail and fall and learn from that life lesson is, yeah, Oof. it's holding space for that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and that anxiety. Is. Oh my goodness. Yes. It is, it is, a, it is the struggle is real. Um, yeah. I, I have uh, really tried to, to not be, uh, you know, the helicopter mom. Mm -hmm. um, and I have no idea if I'm succeeding or failing in that. <laughs> well, you'll know as they, I think, you know, one thing that I will say is, you know, having had all those kids and I remember the exhaustion of the physical exhaustion of having young children and spending so many nights not sleeping. My third son, did not sleep through the night till he was three. And, you know, I mean, so I remember it's very, very physically demanding when kids are little, but when our kids progress through their teen and certainly into their young adult years and you really understand how little you control, that is when it becomes much more mentally challenging, which is exactly why, you know, I talk about, and and I, I, I'd love to, 
shift if, if you're okay into, um, we talked about the fact that I had written a book and mm-hmm. I think the, the topic of this book is a pivotal moment for me because I, I told you I was learning and having a personal wake, awakening while I was walking my son through addiction. This is exactly what I wanted to ask you. So I, I think okay. you're going exactly where I okay. wanted to go. Yes. Good. Okay. So I ended up also making a lot of other changes in my life. I, I, I began to really ask myself, what do I want to put in to myself? And that started with the types of shows I was watching on TV the movies we went to, the music that was being played in my car, um, the books I was reading, in some respects, the people that I was spending my free time with. And this didn't happen overnight. It was just through it. I became more conscious and intentional with what I was putting inside of me in whatever way that that was. Um, And I began to really look at the beliefs I held about myself. And it led me to asking four questions, which I ended up writing a book on. And the four questions are, what do I believe about myself? Where did that come from? Mm. Is it true? And if it's not true, what is true? So if you think about those four questions, that's, I call that looking back to move forward. It took me, it took a lot of reflection for me to understand some of the things I believed about myself. And I write about six things in the book. One of which is I'm not worthy of being heard. I came to that belief really that the self-talk that I was, you know, the things that, that so many times I didn't speak up. So many times I didn't raise my hand in class. So many times I didn't exert myself in a relationship, whether that was romantic or a friendship or whatever. So the belief about that I held about myself, this one in particular was, I'm not worthy of being heard. And then I asked myself, where did that come from? Where is the first time that I remember not feeling as if what I had to say mattered or not feeling heard? And I ended up uncovering a story of a situation that happened between my dad and I when I was six years old. And I won't go into it, but it was something that I think a lot of people could identify with. Mm -hmm. So the the six beliefs each have a very personal story to my life. Um, But the third question to that is, so I believe I'm not worthy of being heard This came from the first time I remember feeling this way was I was six years old on a summer night with my dad. The next question, is it true? Is it true that I'm not worthy of being heard? Of course it's not true. I mean, I know that. Like I, you know, I was 50 years old when I was doing this. Intellectually know that, right? (laughs) Intellectually, I know that. Mm -hmm. But then, then what is true? What is true is that I do have a message that matters and I do have something worth saying. And so practicing that belief is every time I show up on a podcast, every time I show up when I'm invited to be on a news segment about parenting, every TikTok video I do, video I do and I do those three times a day, every time I do a, a live presentation, and right now I'm working on a TEDx talk about limiting beliefs and how they affect the way we parent our kids. Mm. So you're speaking um, my language, Kim. I, I am so <laughs> I am so glad you went here. I have a very similar feeling. I was very afraid to use my voice and for, for a number of reasons uh, growing up, you know, and I same thing. And it was that feeling of not feeling worthy or not feeling yeah. like my voice, I, not, not, not even knowing how to express myself. Yeah. Yeah. Did you did you work through this for yourself before you went to get the um, before you went back to school or before you decided no. to get the parent mm. training or did that happen through the course of doing the training? When did when did all that come to fruition Gosh, for you? I would say you know it's hard to kind of pinpoint because I think I was thinking about these things long before I actually took the time to sit down and write 
and really journal about what do I believe about myself. And the first things, of course, that came up were like, I'm a good mom. I'm a hard worker, you know, but it was like getting beyond those surface roles we play or the surface things that you think about yourself to get to the deeper stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say probably definitely going through the parent certification was definitely a part of an instrumental piece in wherein that really got developed. Um, but I just, in, in the process of it, you know, it, again, realizing that what you believe about yourself isn't true and then deciding what is true and stepping into that some days go better than others right i don't want you to <laughs> yeah. like I, I mean it's not a straight line is it right yeah right. and I, I don't want you like i don't want people to think like oh now she does podcasts and all the things no i it is very difficult the reason that i'm writing a ted talk is because that is a huge thing for me to that that is like the, to me that's like scary scary yeah yeah it's scary because i don't remember 15 minutes of material ever so even though it's about my life and a lot of these stories in the talk will be that it still scares me but i think that's what we need to be doing as we go along our journey i have a a tattoo on my foot and it says let the journey never end and i think that means learning and it's a lifelong thing yeah um, and every time you make yourself uh, i don't know if you feel the same way but every time you make yourself go on a podcast do a video it's like it's like lifting weights right yes absolutely it's it's and it's totally a practice like if i i mean i for 50 years or somewhere close to that lived with this idea that I wasn't worthy of being heard. And it played out in my marriage and my parenting so many times. Mm -hmm. So if I've now consciously said, wait, hold up, I am worthy of being heard. Of course it's a practice and it's a practice that I'm going to have the rest of my life. But I know because I've now defined my belief about myself that it's up to me to practice that every day the belief that I took on was inadvertent and unconscious that came as a result of an interaction with my primary caregiver. And that can happen. We get written on when we are, when we are young, but it's us learning to do our work and to choosing different beliefs in our adult life that can totally changed the trajectory of our lives. Like if someone told me five years ago, you're going to write this book and it's called Becoming Me While Raising You and it's going to be an Amazon number one new release and then you're going to write a TED talk, I'd have been like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but now I, I, and oh, here's what I wanted to say really for sure. I think that people really love when someone speaks their truth and I think it gives them permission to do the same. So part of the reason that I published the book is because I wanted to inspire people, not because people need to know my story, but every, because everybody has a story, but to inspire people to stand in their truth, because it's just, we, we, we're in living in a world where we don't know what's true anymore. And so to uncover that for yourself and stand in that light is just a fantastic contribution to where, you know, we can inspire the world to go. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. It's why I do this podcast. Everybody has a story and yeah. everybody has a story worth telling. Absolutely. And everybody's voice is necessary, needs to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. It's... And I wish it didn't take me 50 years to totally figure that out. But hey, if I can say something, you know, maybe even if one person who hears this you know, thinks to themselves that they need to, you know, really figure out their truth and they want to stand in, you know, their own light, then I think that that is super exciting, right? We should, I hope, I would love to inspire just one person to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. So I, I have to ask you another question. If, if you, if the work that you did to, to realize that your voice was worthy to be heard if that happened later on while you were doing the the coaching i wonder what what was it that enabled you to to i'll say make yourself go back to school 
because how old were you when you went back to complete um, your undergraduate? 40. I was 40. You were 40. 40. What was it that, that enabled you to say, okay, I am going to go back to school if, you know, if you were still having those struggles with your own worthiness of your voice? I think it was because I had gone through that really difficult process with my son and just felt that there needed to be a purpose in it more than just me learning how to parent a child through addiction. Like I felt I wanted to contribute in a bigger way. Mm. So it started with going back to school. And again, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you learn along the way, right? Like I, my full intention going back to school was to become this chemical dependency counselor. Along the way, I realized that wasn't the group, the population I wanted to work with. It was the parents of those kids that I wanted to work with. And then the next step was realizing, I don't know that I always want to be only helping parents whose kids have substance abuse issues. I do a fair amount of that because of the personal experience I've had, but I really want to help parents, if at all possible, before they're in a super tense crisis situation with their kids. Mm -hmm. I will tell you that like me, usually we aren't open to help until there's a crisis. Mm -hmm. But ideally in my, in my ideal mind, I would, you know, I, I hope that anything that I help or, or anything that I say or, or try and educate people on about adolescence and the difficulty it is to parent through will be helpful to them and potentially, you know, unlock something that's, that's important for them to know. And that I think is where it comes in this, the power of what you're doing on TikTok through, through the reels that you're doing is maybe reaching those parents who haven't hit that wall of crisis yet, Yes, but are struggling and know they're struggling and don't know where to turn, don't know, maybe aren't ready to go to the next level of counseling or getting a coach, mm -hmm. but are looking for answers maybe. I, I, so. I do believe that. I do believe that. So I think that there can be a real blessing, you know, when, when people again are willing to show up and speak their truth and it resonates with someone else and they can have some insight or some growth that is maybe just a seed for them to whatever their next step is. Um, yeah, I definitely think that's that. Yeah. Some of our social media is absolutely fantastic <laughs> and a blessing. For sure. Some of it. Yeah. Some yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I do, I definitely do appreciate all parents who have the courage to reach out because parenting is a very, we feel very judged. And I think mm -hmm. that there is, as a result of the last couple of years, I think parents are more open to getting help, but they may be more open to getting their kids help because they wanna say it's their problem. Like if they would just listen, if they would just do, and what I want parents to understand and the coaching that I do is on the parent it's less about strategy and more about the relationship that you are having with yourself and this child and how to improve it, not with a one, two, three fast step, but by really looking at what do I believe about myself? Cause it is most definitely affecting the parenting that I'm doing. Yeah. Wow. I also love what I love about your story is that you, you started to go down the one road of working with the kids. And then when you realized that that wasn't right, even though you had invested your time and your education and your money into going down that road, you know, you, you get so many of us get stuck in that sunk cost fallacy of, well, I've, I've committed to doing this. It would be, it would be a failure or a waste if I don't continue this, but you had the self-awareness to stop and change direction. Yeah. And, and I, I think, think that's a lot I of courage to change that. Well, and, but I think that the psychology degree was a good foundation in, in what I was doing. I didn't go so, I mean, I just kind of like the same issue and challenge. I just shifted the population of people that I wanted to help. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think nothing is wasted is, is probably my no. point in that we every bit of experience that we garner in our lives can be shifted and, and, and become appropriate to use over in this bucket over here, you know, absolutely. and I think sometimes we forget that and we feel stuck. Yeah. And I think yeah. we can do that in parenting too. I talk to a lot of parents who um, <clears throat> get stuck in the I was such a crappy parent. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And they get stuck there. And, mm. and, and I could have stayed stuck there myself when I, when my son, you know, was in his active addiction, I could have most definitely, I, I did acknowledge where I contributed to the problem because I did. And I, and I think it was important for me to acknowledge, to really look at like, how did I contribute to this, but not get stuck there because it didn't serve me and it didn't serve my son to get stuck there. So I would say yeah. to a parent who, you know, maybe is kind of feeling bad or, you know, I should have done this or we, I got divorced and there's guilt around that. And I've parented from this, that, or the other place, or I was never parented. So I over-parented my kid and I totally screwed them up. This is not helpful. This does not serve the relationship again, to yourself or with your child. So I want to encourage those parents who are at the moment maybe stuck in something to acknowledge, but then move forward. Yeah. Is there anything that you wish you had known when you headed down your new path, when you started doing this? I didn't realize how much work it would be because, you know, I mean, there's a lot of parents in the world, right? I didn't realize how, how much stigma and judgment there can be around parenting and, and really working, having to work so hard myself to let parents know, like, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to admit that you don't know what you're doing, but not only do that, but actually work on yourself. Because there are plenty of parents that will complain and say that they're bad parents or they're, you know, they wish they would have done something different, but it takes a lot more courage to then look within yourself and start doing that work because you're passing down a legacy when you will work through your own issues, challenges, and sometimes reparent yourself. And, you know, that's, that's what happens is there are times when we need to reparent ourselves and what a gift that is to your children because i believe you know how people say um your kid didn't come with a manual right they say that all the time but the mm -hmm. reality is we are the manual on which our grandchildren will be raised and so when you think about that it's not to make you feel like you have to be perfect in some way but to really be intentional in knowing that your grandchildren will benefit from the work that you do on yourself now. Yeah. So what, can I ask you for a few of the things that you did, um, maybe routines or habits? I know you mentioned, you mentioned uh, meditation. Mm -hmm. What other tools did you use for yourself that, that were particularly effective for you? Yeah, I like you do get up in the morning early and I sometimes, you know, I, I just feel my day goes better when I make that effort. And part of it happened while I was writing the book because it was really the only quiet time I had. So, I mean, trying to write a book at nine o'clock at night isn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I got into a routine of getting up early. I am now, I think, 1600 straight streak in getting up and meditating for 10 or 15 minutes in the morning that I think has done a great deal of help for me to remain calm and less anxious um, in my everyday life, in my most important relationships and really all relationships that I'm having. I walk 15,000 steps a day. What? Yeah. That's a I lot do. of walking, lady. <laughs> I do. And you know, and someone might say, my God, I, I don't have two hours to walk a day. I don't either. Like I mm. don't but I mm. make the time for it. Mm -hmm. And it's especially hot in Texas at the moment. So I will walk for a while in the morning and then I will walk in the afternoon because I also love the sunshine. So, mm -hmm. um, 
So I, so I walk 15,000 steps a day, whether it's 105 degrees in Texas or sometimes in winter, it's, you know, 20 degrees. So I, no matter what I get outside, I do my walking and it's like a med, that's also another form of meditation. Yeah. And the other thing that I have, that I have done every day since my son's going to be 35. So many, many years, I have a glass of wine at the end of the day. So I sit down at 10 o'clock at night put on HGTV and have a glass of Chardonnay or whatever it is, uh-huh. but it's, it's the, and, and I think everybody self-care, I think is the routines that we put into place for ourselves that we will not compromise on. Mm-hmm. I mean, have there been days when I've been sick and haven't walked, walked 15,000 steps? Of course. But for the most part, I know these three things are what nourish my soul and allow me to be the kind of mother and the kind of wife that I want to be to the people that I love most. And everyone has to find that. one too, you know, hearing my son say, mom, you seem happier when he had no idea that I had made any changes. He had no clue what, that I was getting up before him and, and doing what I was doing. Um, but that was the encouragement I needed. That was right. my proof, you know, right. hey, right. this is this is working. And now, you know, I just turned 54 and I see the change. I see, I can see how much I, it's like I trust myself more mm-hmm. now. And I can't, I'm trying to remember what it was. I think he was, uh, it was his graduation night and things went a little cockeyed with planning and all that stuff. And, you know, you've got expectations going into something like that, right? Sure. And I started to feel myself spiral. And I was like, whoa, girl, wait a minute. This is just unmet expectations that have nothing to do with anything. And it's it's not about you, mm-hmm. first of all. Yeah. And just kind of recognizing that I had unmet expectations and being like, well, yeah, okay, you've got expectations. That's to be expected. Expect the expectations. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like not not like discounting my feelings, but at the same time being able to acknowledge that I was beginning to spiral. And it ended up, you know, we had we ended up having this really low-key night at home, not going out to dinner to celebrate. We all just sat and watched and it, it started off where he was in a mood and it was just weird and funky. And then the next thing we knew, we were sitting there watching a movie, laughing together and mm-hmm. the night and then talking at the end of the night, you know, and it was, it, I attribute it to, to the work that I have been doing, you know, it's becoming more aware. So I think that's the first step, right? Is yes. becoming more aware of your life and how you're showing up and who are you being in your life and who do you want to be and really working through whatever it is that's coming up for you to be able to show up for the people in your life for 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 yourself and for everybody else in your life and how you you know want to be and who you want to be who do i want to be in the face of this teenager who's having a meltdown who do I want to be in this situation when my husband has come home and he's starting to take his bad day out on me? Mm-hmm. Be intentional. Starts with awareness. Absolutely. Oh my goodness! Look at the time. How does it happen? <laughs> Thank you for for sharing your story with us. May I share one last thing? Oh, please. I was just about to ask you something, but please. Okay. So I want to share this because it is a quote that was downloaded to me a couple of years ago, and it's actually the last page in my book. And I think it has deep meaning. And so I'd love to leave with this thought. Um, And that is our children come through us, not for us, except for the lessons they reflect to us during their journey in an effort to grow us up along the way. So just something to think about. Our children are not here for us. They are here on their own journey. And we're blessed as parents to be able to guide them and not push our agenda onto them. I love that. 
And people can get a hold of your book on, on Amazon, correct? Yes. yes, yes. It's free on Kindle and okay. um, paperback. It's it's in paperback as well. So yes, Amazon's really the only place that you can get it. So Becoming Me While Raising You, A Mother's Journey to Herself is the title. That's terrific. Thank you. And is there anything else that you're excited about that's coming up? That And how can people just get in touch with you? And yeah, they can find me at my website, which is reallifeparentguide.com. I have a mom's group that I've recently put together. We meet on Zoom once a week for an hour, and we really talk about the challenges that we're facing as parents. And it's called the Empowered Moms Group. And that is because I, I believe that moms can empower other moms. And many of the people in it have kids that are 15 to almost 30. So it's really that group of moms that like, they don't talk, you know, they don't connect as much as the moms of little kids. And we get very raw and very real. So the Empowered Moms Group, it's on the website. And um, I would love to have new moms in there. All right, very cool. Hey, you have a download, right? I do. It's five steps to traction with your kids. So it's something that would apply to really any parent, you know, of, of any ages of kids. So I don't think it's necessarily, you know, for parents of adolescents. I think it would be of value to parents of any age kids. So that's on the website as well. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So I will have links to your website. I'll put links in the show notes to the book as well and to the free guide. So I'll have those resources for everybody. Okay. Yvonne, that would be amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been really a pleasure getting to know you. Thanks. Well, there you have it. Hey, if you enjoyed this conversation today, I really recommend that you follow Kim on TikTok or Instagram where she drops daily videos with golden advice about how to get through difficult situations with your older kids. I've been following her since we met and it's really been helping me to take a thoughtful approach when facing difficult situations with my kids. And hey, don't forget, Kim is offering a free download on her website to help you gain traction with your kids. I will have a link in the show notes to, oh my goodness, to Kim's social media feeds, her book, and her free download. You can just go to latebloomerliving.com forward slash podcast and look for episode 117. And you will also find a link where you can sign up for my free guide, Five Steps to Your Midlife Reboot. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon.